gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host here, and... We're going to be doing an episode on parenting teens, and this topic came because um, it was requested by a few people, uh, moms that have kind of new teenagers and are saying, ah, what do I do? I'm running into teen stuff. So we wanted to talk about this, and Rachel and I both have teenagers. Um, my, my boys are 17, 20, 22. And almost 24 so I know that what I know now compared to what I knew when I first <laughs> got my first teenager uh, I've learned a lot in just raising my kids and do you have two teenagers now Rachel yes I have okay. 17 15 and 10 okay going on 18 that child <laughs> 10 going on 18 yes. he, he wants <laughs> to be as big or bigger than his brothers you know my youngest is a bit like that too uh, it's just different that one <laughs> yeah in my my oldest son um he's he's matured a little bit i mean he's matured a lot he's almost 24 but so now he's starting to see like in his brothers like was i like that <laughs> um or or he doesn't see it he he wrote a song for me <laughs> this week about his younger brothers oh that's great and i i had to laugh a little bit because i'm thinking do you not see that they are like you were, but, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. I, I really enjoy the teen years. Um, I don't like it when people say to young parents, just wait till they're teenagers. You know, it's just not a helpful thing to say. And while the teenage years do have unique challenges, I think they're a lot of fun too, because your children are growing and you really see them growing up and they're, you know, they start pursuing a lot of their interests and start deciding what career they want to have. And I, I just think it's a lot of fun. I have some of my 
best conversations with my kids when they're teenagers. So for starters, let's just talk about parenting in general, because I think before their teens, you, you know, we establish some things that kind of continue on from the teenage years. There's not like a switch. Now they're 13. Um, there's even stuff in the preteens that people will talk about. Now, I do want to say neither one of us are experts on parenting teenage girls. Exactly. Because uh, we have all boys. But I remember we, being a teenage girl. Yes, that's what I was going to say. We were both teenage <laughs> girls once. So I know that I, I think teens in general, there's there's similarities. But even... and. Sometimes there's some general generalizations about boys and girls, but really I think each child has a unique personality. Um, you know, they sometimes say, oh, teenage girls can be so emotional. Well, teenage boys can be emotional too, so. Indeed. I've, I've talked before, and we've talked on this podcast um, when we had Scott Keith on, is really, really balancing the law and gospel in, in your parenting. I think our default is often law, you know, telling our children do this, it, whether it's just make your bed, brush your teeth, you know, clean the bathroom, those sorts of things. But also, um, I think it's important to remember what the purposes of the law are. I think some parenting books wrongly emphasize where they're very heavy on the law, but we want our children to see their sinfulness, to know their need for Christ. And I think it's important, especially in those teenage years, to incorporate that that law and gospel so that they really understand who Christ is for them. You know, I was thinking about how, you know, people talk about just wait till whatever and, and all that, that fear mongering. And you get it from whatever stage your kids are in. There's always the yep. well, just wait till, you know, X, Y, Z. Which I don't think it's at all helpful. Um, the other one that isn't helpful is when you are in the middle of, of the particularly hard years and people are like, well, enjoy them now. And I'm like, well, I don't want to enjoy this particular stage very long. Although I do love my children. Right? I, I don't think that's right. an appropriate or a helpful um, encourage. I don't think it's encouragement uh, when you're talking to parents of in difficult years. Um, but I think that what's important is, especially when when our kids are little, you talk, you're talking about law and gospel, there is a lot of law that we have to lay down because ki the kids are learning, right? They don't know, don't touch the stove. They don't know, don't, you know, run out in the street. They, you know, there's so many things that we have to say, don't, 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 right? Um, but the, and it's not wrong to do that, but you're right that the approach is we need to remember why we're doing this. And we should also recognize or hope that what we are laying in those early years is a groundwork for a relationship with our kids as they get older and so that they learn to make their own decisions. And we have to learn to trust them to make decisions. So we hope that we lay a good groundwork and hope that God is blessed the work that we do and is working in their hearts, which is you know obviously something that as much as we would like to do, we cannot uh, do that for our kids. That has to be the work of God and the Holy Spirit in our, our children. But we do want to raise our kids to make good decisions and be able to um, navigate the world and not constantly look to us to decide what they do next. Um, one thing that I, uh, Matt and I got from uh, talking with our parents, and, and one thing that my parents emphasized a lot with us growing up, is they wanted us uh, and I want for my ki our kids that they grow up to uh, love the Lord, right? Which again, that has to be the work of the the Holy Spirit. But we can encourage our children in that and, and teach them well um, through our own example and what we teach them to prioritize in life. But 
Um, and then the other is that we want our children to grow up to be people we would enjoy to be around. We would enjoy being around. And, you know, that's, that's where I think what you're talking about with seeing your teenagers and having conversations and um, seeing their interests and, and kind of those glimpses of who they're going to be as adults. It's something I've, I'm really enjoying about this stage with my kids is, is getting to share things with them. Um, even simple things like movies I enjoyed when I was a kid or books that I, I thought were fun to read and, and things that I can say, hey, did you, you know, we can talk about these things. Um, you know, I'm still their mom, but there's more of a um, a shifting relationship of less, you know, I'm telling you what to do and more, I'm, I want to hear from you and have this kind of a, a back and forth relationship um, where they have a place to talk and, and input. Yeah, my my mom did that so well with me, and I have such a great relationship with her today. You know, she would, one of the things that we bonded over in my teenage years was literature. So, you know, I remember when she gave me my first Jane Austen book and said, I really think you would enjoy this. And uh, and then we would sit and watch, you know, the, the movies together and talk about, oh, well, that's not like the book. And, um, oh, I don't think they should have done that. Oh, I'm glad they included that, you know, and we, we really had fun doing that. And she wanted to hear what I had to say too. So, um, and then if she would read a book that she thought I would enjoy, oh, here, here's a book I think you'll enjoy. And she treated me like a person, not just, um, one, one of the things that I think that we do establish before their teens as they get older is just being able to talk to them and listen to them. I think that's so important. If you have to kind of establish that from the time they're young, that that was important to me. And I wanted my children to know they could come and talk to me and that I would listen. Because when they're teenagers, they're probably going to come up with some ideas you don't like much. And you have to be careful even in how you respond to that. You know, they may, you know, my kids have had you know, crazy political ideas and stuff like that. And how you respond to them sharing with you is really going to influence whether they're going to continue to talk to you. And so even if they disagree with you, you still have to treat them like what they're saying is valuable and it's okay to think through things. I don't know if you've gone through that yet. They they do it more and more <laughs> sometimes so after 17. So um, I kind of have said 17 through 21 for my kids. It's been, okay, now I'm going to rethink everything, you know. So Yeah, it, I haven't had a whole lot yet of, you know, like significant disagreements. Um, it, I have encouraged them that, you know, it's perfectly okay to have a different opinion than me, right? You know, if they want right. to think that, you know, this political whatever or this current event they have a different opinion about what's going on you know not only are they free to have that opinion they're free to express that opinion we can talk about these things um one thing i've tried to impress on my my kids since they were little is that they can talk to me about anything um they can tell me anything they want to tell me that it that while i might not agree with them or i might not approve right or i might be a you know upset about a choice that they've made right that it will not change the fact that they are my children and that i love them and i want to hear from them and that i will support them and take and help them in any way i can right um and you know that was something i remember from, with my parents too about them trying to or them impressing on me that there was nothing that 
could happen in my life that I should be afraid to tell them about so that there would always be that open willingness for them. They would listen to me if I came to them. And I do have that, thankfully, that kind of relationship with my parents. I think it's important that our kids know they can come to us and talk to us. One of the ways that that has played out with my kids is sometimes that means that they come and confess to me. I did something wrong and I feel really bad. And so I want to tell you about it. And the way that I respond to that when they come is going to determine whether they feel safe to come to me Mm -hmm. again with those sorts of things. Um, I will say two of my children talk nonstop. They tell me everything I want to know and then some. And two of my children are a little bit uh, quieter. And so with them, I I sometimes have to, you know, ask them questions and um, encourage discussions um, that they wouldn't necessarily come naturally to me. Yeah, I've I've learned, too, that I have to... um I have to go to them sometimes and say, you know, is there something that you would like to talk about? Is something going on? And sometimes, you know, I'll notice that they're they're acting, they're kind of angry about something, but they're not, but not what? They're angry with their brothers. They're just kind of angry in general or um, embarrassed or stressed. And so I'll kind of take them aside privately, trying to protect their dignity, right? And I'm not going to share specifics, obviously. But sometimes what's underlying whatever emotional difficulty they're going through right now is there things going on in their minds or they're worried about something or they feel guilty about something and you know so it it is good to be kind of you know ask those kind of open questions and say open-ended questions and say you know is there anything you want to talk to me about is there something going on and uh it's helped they they appreciate the the time to talk yeah and uh they also appreciate uh, this, making sure that their brothers can't overhear the conversation. Yes, or my kids say, you can't tell my brothers. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, okay, we're not talking about it with everybody else. Yeah, my, my boys when they were younger used to, they, I don't know how this started, but they used to have um, these brother meetings, you know, just to talk about whatever they were talking about. But then they had one one day, and they said it wasn't appropriate for Austin. So Austin, that's my youngest. He's just crying. Why am I not included? You know, he's probably like six years old. <laughs> it's like their brother club. So one one thing Rachel and I wanted to talk about, and I think this is so, 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 so helpful in understanding this when you have teenagers, is how their brains are changing and developing. Um, I I found a couple links that kind of, that I'll put in episode notes that have some basic uh, explanations. It, through their teenage years and up until they're 25, their their brains are developing. And it kind of goes to age 25 if you look at, at different research. But I'll read one little thing from one article um, that I thought was helpful. Um, they've done a lot of research. Even in recent years, they've learned more about it. But adults think with the prefrontal cortex, the brain's rational part. This is part of the brain that responds to stimulations with good judgment and an awareness of long-term consequences. Teens process information with an amygdala. This is the emotional part. And anyone who has a teenager, you know, sometimes they're not thinking especially logically, or they don't think about the consequences of their actions. Um, but it, I think it's important to understand that, um, and to, and to be sensitive and have grace with your children and understanding. Not, not that we excuse sin, and that's not what I'm saying, but 
helping them to better think through things because of where their brains are developmentally. Yeah, that's something that I think we've talked about before, mentioned before, when we talked about um, about parenting. Um, at least I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this, but is that y- you look at your children and about what uh, are reasonable expectations for them at different ages, right? You don't expect a two-year-old to be able to, to do what a 15-year-old can do, right? Um, and try to be careful in, in how we discipline and how we disciple our children that we're not expecting out of them more than they can do. And I think that this is another place where it's it's helpful for us to remember that their brains are still in development and to take, not again, not excusing sin, but recognizing that they may make decisions or do things that are impulsive or that are um, you know, driven by emotion or whatever, and just recognize that they're still in process um, and not expect them to, to do things perfectly and, and not to hold them to a, a standard that you know, is, is unreasonable. I think that's so important because I think sometimes, and even in some of the parenting books, there's almost an expectation that your children are perfect. And they're, they're sinners, just like we are. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to a friend of teenagers, and, I, and um, I thought of kind of an analogy that has to do with what Rachel's talking about in those expectations. Um, anyone who has children, you know when, when they're younger and they get sick, and they've got a high fever, and they're kind of lethargic and, and not feeling well, and usually just laying around, want to cuddle, and comforted by mom but then they get to the point where they're not feeling all the way better but they're feeling better enough to be <laughs> disobedient but and you you have some extra grace on them you know you you still tell them that that behavior isn't appropriate but you know that they're still not feeling well I'm actually you know I'm kind of like that too sometimes when I'm not feeling well I've, I've joked about this with with other parents many times and that's the most challenging stage of, of children getting over an illness. Yes, it is. You know, when, they're, when they're so sick and, and sad and miserable, they just lay there and it's pitiful. Yeah. Right? But, you know, it's when they get cranky and pesky and, you know, they're not quite back to normal, but now they're into everything. Right. Yeah, it's, it's just a, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I think that's a good analogy. Uh I was going to add an article that I read a few years ago uh, from another parent or shared with me who also has teens and talking also about this, about teen brains is that they've, they've done research that shows that um, because of the development in their brains, teens um, may not interpret uh, emotion correctly on someone else like uh, facial expressions like so if you show them a picture of someone who's you know showing a face that's scared they might recognize it as shocked or startled or something else but not scared right or they rec- they they see a face that's that's showing fear and they don't see that it's fear and it has to do again like you were talking about which part of their brain is processing so the nuances that we as adults can recognize they're not picking up on and i think that's important to remember again again we're not not excusing sinful behavior or not expecting our children to grow and and to do better but to recognize 
that sometimes in our communications with others, that our teens may not be interpreting us correctly, and we may not be reading them correctly. And so when we recognize that, you know, it can take a moment and go, okay, hold on. I'm not upset with you. That's not what this is. Or, you know, I know you may be, you're not, you're not hearing me correctly. So just a second, or I don't think you think I understand what you're saying and just give them a chance to explain and, and talk more about what's going on. Um, I think it helps if we recognize the, the challenges of what they're going through. Yeah. And I, I've noticed as my kids also, as my kids kind of enter the teenage years or maybe even the pre-teenage years too, is they were more sensitive to the fact that they had um, disappointed me and they they really more so as they got as they got older they they needed to feel that our relationship was okay you know Mm -hmm. um maybe i had to confront them and discipline them um give them consequences for something and you know they'd say you know are, are you mad at me no i'm not mad at you and so when rachel was talking about earlier reminding our children that nothing you can do is going to change that i love you and you're my child and I'm, and I'm always here. I think even just reminding them that, and my kids would, would figure out, you know, that I wasn't mad, but sometimes I was disappointed and, and they didn't want me to be disappointed. Okay. What do I need to do to make, make things better? And you have to work through some of those things, you know, they break your trust and, and things like that. So, uh, one of the, one of the things just to, go uh, to add to what we were just talking about is being understanding which we kind of said earlier being understanding that they're growing they're changing they have hormonal changes brain changes um you know they're they're going through a lot being teenagers hard mm-hmm. um very hard <laughs> yes I, <laughs> I always i say you know people that talk about you know oh your your high school years are the the best years of your life and i'm thinking i hope not that's not how I remember them. <laughs> Looking back, that's not what I remember. I, you could not pay me enough to go back to being 13 to 17. Like, they, no. It's awful. And just all the different emotions and and thing. I, I know as a teenager, I, I made a bigger deal out of little things. But they felt like mm. big things to me, you know. They did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was glad to be done with the teenage years, just everything that um, Rachel has written an article. I'm including it um, in the in the episode notes, but maybe you can talk about it because there, you do such a good job of explaining. You had there was a couple of articles you read and you were responding to, but the one that that youth group one, which was not good, <laughs> but remembering your yeah. children are people, too. But yes, children are people, too. Um, yeah, it, it's, it was kind of a culmination of a, of a variety of conversations, if I'm remembering correctly, but there, there were a couple articles, but then it's, there's also been a number of conversations that I've had with other, other parents about how we, um, how we protect our children's dignity, right? Especially, you know, navigating social media, um, you know, what we share about our kids and, and what we say about them and how we, how we expose them, um, or protect them from ridicule, Right. Um, yeah, I, parents are always going to be embarrassing to their children, but I, I do strive not to be intentionally embarrassing to my children um, about things that where it would be unpleasant for them. It's one thing to you know to tease your children; it's another thing to 
to expose them to to ridicule and um, yeah that was the thing with the article that I had read uh, if I remember correctly that it was describing types of kids that you you see in youth group if I remember the article and I remember thinking about what it was like to be a teenager and you are very insecure about who you are and who you're becoming and what you want to be and how people see you and it matters how adults around you treat you. And so I think it's important for us as parents and as adults to remember that, you know, our, our children, especially our teenagers in this discussion, are people too. Uh, and what I said at the time in that article is that children are individuals with their own likes and dislikes. And certainly there are they are also sinful with their own tendencies to particular faults and besetting sins. As parents, we must learn to address the sins without attempting to make our children fit into particular molds. Having preferences isn't sin. Demanding our way can be. Yeah. And so, you know, I have a kid who, from the time he was a toddler, hated potatoes. Absolutely. Cannot stand the texture. Will gag. It's it's amusing to watch as a parent when he's trying to eat them because he makes the most fascinating faces. (laughs) But he was not being sinful and saying, I just don't care for them, right? And so we learned, we've talked about, and he's learned that there are foods he doesn't particularly care for. He can be polite and say, no, thank you, right, in public, and not say, ugh, or make faces, right? But it's not wrong for him to have preferences. We all have them, right? Um, It's wrong to be unkind. It's wrong to, you know, to be ugly about something. But it's not wrong to say, I just don't care for potatoes. Um, Just to use an example. But, I mean, there are other things, too. You have uh, kids that you know like to read you have kids who don't like to read particularly you have kids that like to do this kind of sport or that kind of event it's just they're individuals and they have personalities and as parents we have to learn how to i call it harness their their powers for good right take those things their skills their their gifts uh, their abilities and learn to use them in a way that is beneficial to them and to society and that honors the lord um, without trying to make them into what we wish we had been or what we think they should be. Yeah, that I think I think that's so important. Um, you know, we we do encourage our, especially when they're younger. We encourage them, like, okay, let's um, you know learn a musical instrument or things like that to kind of find what they're good at and and to try things and and stuff like that. But we have to be careful about not forcing our children, you know, beyond. Um, what is reasonable. Uh, you know, it's like my my mom had both my sister and I take piano lessons starting when we were six. But it became clear for me, I mean, I took them for a long time, it, but it became clear that my sister, it just wasn't her thing. And so she, I continued, she didn't. Um, so I think being reasonable is really important. One of the things, um, when you're talking about the youth group stereotypes, one of the things my youngest son does not like being compared to his older brothers at all. And we've had to be really careful because sometimes, you know, us not thinking uh, have done that. And we've, you know, my husband and I have talked, like we need to be really careful about that, especially being the youngest of four boys. It, you know, from the time he was young, he always wanted to be big like his brothers, but he also wanted to be, you know, an individual and and we've had to, to recognize that. Um, we talked earlier about listening to your children. I, th- I think this 
again, is so important because your kids may say things that you don't agree with. And if they're saying something that is biblically wrong, they, of course, need to be corrected. But we need to listen to them. Um, they need to know that they can come and talk to us. Uh, and they might not do that as much. You know, an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old might be um, more willing to come and and talk to mommy than uh, a 15-year-old might not uh, do as much. You know, it, it, a lot of this depends on your child's personalities because, like, I, I mean, I have one child that has, like, he learned to talk young and he hasn't stopped and, you know, just talks, 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 talks. And, you know, never was a problem. <laughs> he never went through any any time. I mean, even now, he, he'll call me on the phone and just talk, 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 uh, where my other boys aren't so much phone phone people. So one of the things I, I think this is important, I learned this from my parents, was kind of pick your battles um, on, on certain things. Don't, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. You want to make sure that you emphasize those really important things. And you have to use wisdom. It, so much of parenting your teens is wisdom. But um, so I have done things like you know, my son wanted to dye his hair. I, I'm not going to make a huge deal about that. And, you know, we we let him dye his hair. That This wasn't a huge thing to us. But just learning what's important and what's maybe less important. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think even early on, one of the things my parents encouraged us about is, you know, when you make when you make a lot of rules, then you have to keep all the rules and enforce all the rules. And, you know, before you start doing it as a parent, when, when your children are very small, you know, you don't think about that. But as they get older, you're like, man, this is a lot to keep up with, right? Just remember, do this, don't do that. And there are things that are important, right? You know, there, I'm not saying don't have rules, but you do have to prioritize what rules and what things are, are the things that are really important and what things you're going to say, you know, absolutely this is a must or a, a, an absolute no and then the other things where you just you're going to be laid back on or less concerned with um, the details and more looking at the bigger picture of, of what's going on and um, I do think that a lot of that again you know if you've if you're laying a certain foundation with your kids when they're younger you know much of this as they get older it, it will shift how much you're doing this or it should right I, I feel like you know, you have to learn to deal with your children as they become adults and as they're becoming adults. And it's not helpful to add more and more restrictions. Um, you know, it's, again, it's just some more things that you have to keep up with. And, and it can end up with, um, you know, with, with children who are angry because everything is about keeping the rules. And so they learn to be very outwardly good at managing the rules or they give up and say, well, I can't keep them. So they're not going to yeah, try. Well, the same legalism that we try to stay away from in the church and our Christian lives. Um, if you're a legalistic parent there, it's, um, I think that's very hard for kids. And I've, uh, I know, um, in Elise Fitzpatrick's book, she says that, that legalism, um, results in, rebellion or self-righteousness in our parenting. So I think we have to be really careful. You know, we don't want legalism or antinomianism in our in our parenting. We want to have uh, the right the right balance. 
Uh, one of her books is Give Them Grace. Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember, and it was so encouraging about, you know, thinking about our children in that way. And and again, it's, you know, when you're, when you're considering your, peop- your children are people too, you're treating your children with the kind of, of graciousness that you want to be shown in life, right? So remembering, you know, we all have bad days. It doesn't excuse bad behavior, but we all have bad days. We all have things we like to do, things we don't like to do. We all have difficulties and challenges and just recognizing that we're dealing with, with other humans. And especially when we're talking about as as Christians, if we have if our children are professing believers, then not only do we have the, the parent child relationship, but we have the relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, it, that relationship, even as, as your children grow um, and, and are lo- no longer so much under the direct authority of parent-child as they become adults, but they will always be in that, they'll always be your child, and if they are believers, they will always be your brother and sister and so, in Christ. And so, you have that relationship that you want to build and encourage with them. And, you know, there certainly have been times that I've gone to, um, especially my older two sons at this point, and and said and encourage them on something and say, look, I'm not coming to you as your mom saying you must do this, but I'm coming to you as your sister in Christ, and saying I encourage you that these things would be good for you and would be an encouragement for you in your in your faith. One of the things I've thought about sometimes is, that, and this was just a conviction in my own life when my kids were teenagers, is that sometimes I was I was more quick to show grace um, with my friends. And some of you know some of those sorts of people than the people closest to me, that I sometimes had greater expectations on my children, um, and obviously there's going to be some of that because I'm the one training them and discipling them and things like that. But the same grace I was willing to demonstrate to to my friends, my sisters in Christ, um, I needed to um, be willing to extend that to my children, and not have unrealistic expectations almost an expectation of them being perfect. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and, and because people close to us, we sometimes see their sin more. We're spending more time with them and, and things like that. Well, I, I know that I've noticed for us, you know, we, with our kids, with the difference, differences in personality, uh, it, it's actually when you have you know, two or three kids in the house, and the likelihood of one child's personality being closer to a, one parent than the other happens yep regularly and so and that can lead to some interesting dynamics uh, that i've seen where um i am more likely to uh, get into argument or sparks with my child who is more like me yep and my husband is more likely to get that feel that way and short-tempered with the son who is more like him right mm-hmm. and so then each of us have to balance each other and say, okay, you're being a little hard on him here. Or, yes, I know we're, right, we're seeing, and some of it is, you know, you see in your child the things that you wish you could change about yourself, right? Or wish yeah. that you didn't do. You recognize it faster. Um, my, my one son who, he is the spitting image of me. It's less so now that he's become old enough that, you know, he's growing facial hair and doesn't look so much like mom anymore. But he's always been my little mini-me. And, you know, it, it's funny to see my own facial expressions mirrored back at me. Like, I know that expression because I make that expression. <laughs> how funny. Um, but it, it does mean that there are challenges in how we talk to each other because of what we see in each other. And 
having not to be harder on him because he reflects the things I wish I could change in myself, but also um, not excusing other behavior with his brothers because that's not something I struggle with. So it's, you know, it's dealing with each kid as individuals and recognizing that um, as parents, we're going to fail and not do things right. And especially, you know, I'm an oldest child. I'm the oldest child of an oldest child of an oldest child. Um, So am I. I'm the oldest child and the oldest child of an oldest child. Right. And so there's this long line of oldest kid in our in our behavior in our attitudes and you know what they say about the first kid being the burnt pancake right it's raw on one side burnt on the other right because mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i apologize to my oldest at times and i'm like look we're going to do things differently with your younger brothers because we're learning too and i'm sorry and i know that it's not entirely fair i remember the same sorts of things where i'm like hey why did my brother get to do things that i never got to do with it you know it's because my parents were also adjusting and realizing that some things were not as big a deal as you thought they were they thought they were with me and and the the differences in individuals too but it's just you know just learning to recognize that we are all humans, we are all sinners, and we are sinners raising sinners. And I think the the saying goes, there's one perfect parent, and he has one perfect son. Um, the rest of us are, are not perfect. Yeah, I've, I've had to go, I've had to tell my oldest, you know, that I really um, realized I was wrong in some of the things that that I did with him. Yes. Um, thankfully, we we gain wisdom as we get older. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know the older boys telling my younger boys, "You guys got it so easy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is hard, especially with and with the youngest. My youngest is five years younger than the older two, and so it's a it's a big jump to him. And you know, I'm I'm an older mom than I was with the others. I have yeah. I'm just it's it's different right the way i feel about it's different the way i things i'm concerned about is different and and some of it's just, I'm just too, i don't care as much as i did <laughs> about some yes. things right and I'm, it's not saying i do i do care very much about about sin and sinful behavior it, it's just the things that weren't weren't as important as i thought they were yes i i always think of um when i was i just had um I just had my oldest son. That was it. And of course I was going to feed him perfectly. He wasn't going to have sugar and, you know, stuff like that. And we were at, we were at church and the kids were like probably eight months old. My friend had a, uh, an eight month old also. And I, I guess around there er, and, um, it was, uh, I think it was around Christmas time. And here she, her baby is chewing on a candy cane. And I kind of, it, she must have read it on my face, like, wow, I can't believe you're letting. And she said, she looks at me and she looks at the baby. She goes, six, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? It's like the, the joke goes that with the first child, you know, they, 
they drop the pacifier on the ground and you put it aside and sterilize it and give them a clean one, right? And then right. with your second child, it drops on the ground and, and you kind of wipe it off, lick it off, you know, give it back to yeah. them. And by the time you're with the third child, you let the dog lick it off and give it back to the kid. And yes. It's, it's <laughs> funny because you do, you realize you're like, yeah, these things I thought were so aren't not. And I'm just going to relax a little more about some things. And Yes. I mean, and I think that that remembering what's really important, not making a big deal out of things that are little and, you know, thinking about things that have um, long-term consequences and things that just aren't distinguishing between those, those things. Um, and as I said before, the, um, I, I just think wisdom is so important. I think we talked about this before, even the way that we discipline and um, our training each child can um, vary because they're each individuals. You know, you have some children that are, um, that you correct them and they're, you know, in tears and repentant easily and some that are more, that push back a little bit more. And so navigating all of this, it, you have to navigate it with wisdom. And I, I've thought to myself sometimes, no parenting book told me that each of my children were going to be very different and that how I navigated things with them would be different because of their individual personalities. But I think that's important to remember. You would think that when you hit three or four kids, there would be more overlap, but I've found that with each one, it's more differences than, yes. than similarities. I would say that each very different. That's what I, I've noticed that. I think that there was some similarity, like my, my first and my third have some similarities that were um, more noticeable when they were young. Mm -hmm. You know, they both talked earlier and things like that. Um, but as I've gotten older, even though they have some similar, my my first and my third are closer in personality to me. Same. Although they look like my husband, mm -hmm. and then the second and fourth, it's the, it's the other way around. Um, but as I've gotten older, I see so much, even though they have maybe similar type personalities, I see their differences so much more. It's, it's just fascinating. Um, I, I, uh, with each of ours, you know, the one is very much like me. Although in it, it, everyone's a blend. They have each of them have characteristics from each of us, and different sides of our personalities show up. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's truly interesting to see how how genetics work. <laughs> you know, one of the things um, that I think that that happens when we're talking about our children as as they grow and as they develop and as they become aware of life and things around them. All of us have that moment when we recognize the fact that our parents aren't perfect and that they may be wrong about something in their lives. And it happens at different stages with different parents. And, and especially when you're talking about, you know, good relationship between parents and children where it's not an abusive, difficult, tense relationship, but just a normal, in, in this way, average, good relationship. You come to a point where you're like, huh. My parents may not be right about everything. I might disagree with them. Huh, right? Just how weird. And I remember coming to that point, uh, it's probably as a preteen. And so one of the things along with that, uh, with our children, um, I think that it's important that we model 
uh, both forgiveness and repentance with our children. Just like when they're little and we're teaching them, you know, to be polite and say please and thank you, we do it by saying it with them and teaching them how to be appropriate with their manners by showing them good manners. But it's also true that we need to, to model forgiveness and repentance with our children. And none of us like to go to someone and say, you know, I was, I was wrong when I did this, and I'm sorry, and please forgive me. It's very uncomfortable to do. But it is something that I think that our kids are going to learn best when they see us do it. And as they become, especially preteens and teenagers, and become more and more aware that their parents are um, sinful human beings who will make mistakes, that they are watching us. And so when we do do something, when we do something that we shouldn't do, when we say something, when we're unkind, um, you know, when we've yelled at them over something, or we've been harsh with them in a way that wasn't right, then it's important that we go to them and say, look, um, I know we were all in a rush to get out of the house today, and I yelled at you, and I should not have yelled at you today. Uh, that wasn't right. And because if your kids are like mine they're likely to say it's okay mom you know it's it's, we know you're I'm like no no you you don't need to excuse my behavior it's okay to say yes that I was wrong and it's right for you to say that you forgive me and that you love me and we'll move on but it helps them see that we're not above asking their forgiveness that we're not above repenting of our behavior and that they can see then that it is appropriate for them as as adults and as parents that they will hopefully one day be that they can go to someone and say i'm sorry please forgive me i read something once that like younger kids almost see their parents as superheroes like you know you think of the they can do everything little boy right yeah. the little boy well my daddy could you know do that you know he's superman <laughs> Um, and and then they you know get to a point and realize e- whether it's um, sin or maybe there's a prob a problem that they realize there's some some problem that when they're little they think you know my parents can can fix any problem and then they realize wow you know mom and dad have struggles and sometimes sometimes things don't work out the way that mom and dad would want them to and um, and it's important the same way that that we as believers need to be reminded of the gospel often and to look to Christ. Um, our children need to be reminded of that too, whether they're Christians or not, um, you know, whether it's to remind them as Christians to look to Christ in the gospel or whether um, they're, they just need to be evangelized and reminded of the gospel for that. One of the things that I wanted, we kind of talked earlier about a little but, you know, they have hormonal changes um, and they can have mood swings, you know, just like we can have mood swings. And um, in dealing with that, I think it's important sometimes to even talk to them about it. You know, um, they might be feeling down. Um, teenagers can go through times of depression, and anxiety. I, I know that a couple of mine have struggled with that. I think it's important to recognize when they're struggling they might not be able to identify um when they start dealing with some of these things what's going on so it's important to talk to them and help them work through some of those things you know just like we can go through them so i wanted to talk about um dealing with rebellion or when they want to push back um this can definitely happen they want to assert their independence 
um, or so it could just be pushback. Um, it's not necessarily rebellion, but more challenging with one of my kids when he decided he disagreed with me on things he wanted to have a debate about every single little tiny thing. <laughs> and, um, I know that this can be challenging. I, I think it's important to remember what sort of discussions are going to be fruitful and what are not. Usually arguing is not fruitful. So even teaching our children to be able to disagree graciously, um, I think is important because um, they're still they're still learning and growing. And sometimes, you know, some kids specifically might might not be able to do that well, you know, you know, um, sometimes a kid, you're wrong, I'm right, you need to recognize I'm right, <laughs> you know, or something like that is not going to be fruitful. And I, I told my kids, you know, I'm, I, you know, I purged you out, I'm really not interested in arguing, I'm not going to argue this point with you, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, we have, we just have to have wisdom sometimes and when they have pushback. <laughs> I think that's really encouraging. Um, haven't had, or not at that particular stage yet, much with mine. Um, there have been challenging seasons at different stages. Uh, like you said, different children are approach discipline differently about those that you know want to rail against all authority <laughs> from the time they're tiny, and those who are very compliant. Yes, you know, which has its own challenges. A compliant child is a completely different set of challenges that also have to be dealt with. Um, you know, even though it's it's it looks nice on the outside. You know. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate the the encouragement for what I what I predict will happen in my future. <laughs> Yeah, my mom used to say of my sister and I that if, if I asked to do something and my mom said no, I would argue with her and cry and, you know, throw a temper tantrum. My sister, she would ask if she could do something. My mom said no. She'd say, okay, and then go do it anyways. <laughs> and, you know, there's, so there's, I think it's, this is why it's important to know and understand your children. You know, I, I have a child like that, very, very compliant on the outside. <laughs> Um, but very sneaky. Um, and it's important to know, know and understand your children for, for that reason, to, to keep an eye and to help them work through things. You know, you, you might be sneaky and get away with something, son, but it doesn't mean it's okay to do that. And, you know, um, there, there's just a lot of these different sorts of things with, with each child as they get older. Uh, I think one of the hardest things for Christian parents during the teenage years is when there's rebellion and you, you could face that and you could be close to the perfect parent in the whole world, um, the most perfect parent in the whole world. And you could still have a child that rebels. It's so important to remember, I'm going to talk in a minute about, um, when you have a child that's not a Christian, but it's, it's so important. I, I can't stress this enough to remember that even if you do everything close to perfect, that it is the Lord who saves. You do not work in your children's hearts. You teach them and train them and teach them about the Lord, but you cannot um, work in their hearts to save them. And that, that's why prayer is so important, praying for our children. But 
one of the purposes of the laws is having order in our home and um, stuff like that. So if you have a, re a rebellious child, you you do have to, you know, give them some law for order and safety. But remember to also demonstrate grace, because I think when you have a rebellious child, it it's easy to just be law, 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 and you still have to show them love and grace. And I know it's hard. I, I know very well. I, I have been there and we've had to establish, you know, you might not like the rules in our home, but you are a child and these are the, the things that are expected. And I think if you have a rebellious child is another important time to remember not to make mountains out of molehills, to emphasize those things that are really important. And it's easy to, to escalate, to get to the point where it, it, all interaction becomes combative. And because we are, we're talking about as parents of children, we are supposed to be the ones who are adults and grown-ups and modeling good behavior. It, it will, a lot of that will fall on us to de-escalate. Yes, and that, that's really important. If you're in a combative season with a child, one of the things that, that we've done is um, finding something to do that you can actually enjoy one another and have fun together. If you're in one of those seasons, my husband will sometimes take the kids, um, take one of them out to their favorite restaurant just to have kind of a good time and um, and talk and stuff like that. So finding things that you can even do together that's not going to bring about that that arguing and being combat combative and stuff like that because it can be easy. I I know many parents of teenagers can attest to this where you start to feel like every interaction with that rebellious child is just some sort of argument or not you know you start to not like your child and you you need to this is your child still and you need to show them love and grace and and find ways to enjoy them even if you're going through a difficult time like that and i say this from experience i appreciate your experience on it i do it's, it's very helpful to hear. Now, I want to talk about when your child rejects the faith, which I can speak to, too. Um, for me, it, it's hard. I'm not going to say that it's not hard, but it was actually going through that that, for me, made me realize that I'd been trusting myself and my parenting more than I was trusting the Lord and His work in my child's um, life. And I think it's so important when I, when I kind of realized that, realized that I've been trusting in my parenting skills and, and all of the things that I've been doing more than I was even trusting the Lord for my children's salvation. The Lord gave me peace about it. There was comfort for me remembering that it's the Lord's work and not mine that brings salvation. And Sometimes I've, I've seen this, sadly, where sometimes Christian parents end up almost treating their children like they're outside the family if they leave the faith. Now, obviously, they're not part of the family of God, and, and, and there will be ways that that plays out, but they are still part of your family, and, and I don't know why some parents are almost 
I, I don't know how to explain it, but I, they're almost more willing to show grace to their non-Christian neighbor to their, than to their own child. Don't do that. Um, that That's actually, my son has some friends that left the faith also, and they don't want anything to do with Christians because of that sort of thing. And we need to show them love and grace and show them the love of Christ and still demonstrate um, grace and the gospel to them, uh, still talk to them, and and just love them. So, I, I know it's hard. I know very well it's hard. Well, just like we would want to do with any friends or family that we have who are not believers, right? that we would want to show them to encourage them right we want to to encourage them to see the gospel and to see the importance of faith but we would also want them to be encouraged by their encounters with us and not so angry with us that they they won't even talk to us now it may come to that because you know that it is possible for people to become so angry about the faith itself that they don't want to talk about to anyone who's a believer but we shouldn't we should try to have a good relationship with anyone, with everyone, regardless of their faith. And the same way we would evangelize, you know, other people in our lives that don't know the Lord. And we do that with, with our children. And you know what? Remember, remember that your, your children, Christian or not, are your neighbors, too. So that call to love your neighbor as yourself, that, that includes your children. Um, so what just want to offer a little bit of encouragement, especially for some of you parents that might be struggling, because I know um, from some of the messages I got recently that some, some of you are struggling. One of the things after my oldest um, got older, I realized with my other ones, they do grow up. <laughs> so um, you may have some struggles right now, but I promise you they do grow up. <laughs> they do get older. Um, they do start, I mean, with their changing brains, even, you can even see that as they get older and how they start thinking about things. Um, you know, my oldest has even come to me and said, I'm really sorry for some of the ways that I acted when I was younger. And, and if you're struggling, you have the Lord and prayer and encouragement from God's word and find Find, um, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ that you can talk to. Uh, parents of older children than yours that you can go to. I think that can be helpful. That has been a big help. I, I have um, a couple of different friends whose parent, whose kids are just enough older than mine to be, she's in a different, like you, would be in different stages. And it can be really encouraging and helpful to get her perspective, or their perspective on things. Um, how'd you do this? What did you do with that? Because they've been through different things already. Um, and it is encouraging to see that, yes, they do. Many of these things are stages that they will eventually get through. There isn't a list of things, you know, do this, always deal with things this right. way. And things like that. It, I think that what you were talking about is, is so important, is just having those people in your life. Because those people in your life know you. They know your specific situation. They they know your struggles, and can help you help you navigate these things. And that's going to be that's going to be the the 
the best thing is talking to people who've been there, who've raised children, um, being able to talk it through and, um, and seek wisdom. One of the things that we want to talk about with, with parenting and particularly with as our, our kids get older and into their teenage years, um, you know, for for us, Colleen and I are both uh, Presbyterians. We're, we are in churches that uh, our children were baptized as babies, right? And we then um, are raising them as covenant children and, and, of course, hopeful that they will make a profession of faith. And um, at this point in, in my life, uh, each of our boys, my boys, uh, have made pr- public professions of faith and they are community members in church. But one of the things that... Um, I want to encourage other parents about it. It's something that uh, that Matt and I noticed as we were, you know, navigating, you know, how to raise our kids in the church, having had them been baptized as babies, and you know, Matt and I were raised in uh, in Credo Baptist churches growing up, so it's different in trying to figure out what to do. Um, the two things that I noticed is, or two approaches that I noticed that really concerned me. One was. Um, kind of a a skepticism about you know your your children are little and they they're saying they believe in Jesus and they love Jesus and um people will say oh well they're just they're just saying that because they've been raised in the church and they're saying that because you're believers and and it's certainly possible that that's true right that that they are only um repeating what they've heard but i think we need to be careful not to be skeptical we we pray over our children that um, you know, when, we, when they're baptized, we pray that they would never know a day without the Lord. And so then when we see that happen, if, if you have children who are raised and uh, in the church and in a loving home, and then they're treated with, well, well, they can't really be believers yet because, you know, they're not old enough to understand. Or I think that that undermines uh, the ideas that we were raising them in, that they can grow up in the church, grow up in a Christian family, and learn to love the Lord and, and have the work of the Spirit be very gradual in their lives. And it's, it's very possible for a child who's grown up in that way not to have a, a big conversion moment where they say, at this moment I realized that I was a sinner and I had done these things that were wrong and now I'm repenting and I'm becoming a believer. It may be much more gradual in their lives. Uh, the other ditch that we can fall into in, in one that I've seen is, is an assumption that just because our children have grown up in the church because they were baptized as babies or you know if you're in a, a, a church that doesn't baptize that they were dedicated or raised in the church, raised with Christian pa- parents, is that we can get to a, a complacency and think well of course they're Christians and whether or not they ever make an actual profession and so uh, and I wrote an article that we'll link but what I wanted to encourage you as parents is that um, we need to help our children. We should teach them. We should catechize them, help them to know what it means to be a believer, uh, and help them understand that they have to take ownership of their of their faith, that if they are believers, they need to know that, uh, confess their need for a Savior, to recognize their need for salvation. And they have to become, you know, so they take ownership of their relationship with Christ in the church. So we pray for our kids. We pray that the Lord would work in their hearts, that he would give them faith. We ask our children probing questions about their faith and their beliefs and answer them, answer the questions they have of us. And hopefully we will see evidence of their faith, see the work of the Spirit in their lives. 
and uh, help them learn to nurture their faith in the same way that we would any other new believer in the church. So, so all that to say, uh, I want to encourage you as parents that, you know, as, as Colleen said, well, we trust that the Lord is at work in our, our children. We know that we can't do that work. Uh, but at the same time, we should be encouraging our children in their faith uh, if they've if if they have professed faith, but also um, work in um, evangelizing our children for those who haven't professed faith or who have rejected the faith so that they can see the importance of of Christianity and of the gospel. That's I think that's so important. And, you know, I'm somebody who cannot remember a time that I did not trust Jesus. I mean, I, I remember very young age sorrow over sin and and wanting to obey and trusting Jesus for that. So, um, and that's, you know, of course, what we hope for our children, that they, that they wouldn't remember a time. Yes, it, it's a, a great blessing to have that testimony. Abs- absolutely. I'm going to include a lot of resources in the episode notes on things that we have talked about So definitely check those out. Um, Also, since we've talked about raising children today, I'm going to put a link to the scripture and catechism memory books that Rachel and I have put together. And, you know, regardless of what you're going through, continue to teach your children the word of God to catechize them. And we will see you next week.